0: Welcome to the 500th episode of It's All Journalism. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. This week's episode is an encore presentation of our interview with Kat Downs Mulder, who first appeared on It's All Journalism back in May 2013. She was in episode 36, as well as a bonus episode where she talks about her online portfolio. We'd only been doing the podcast for about eight months, and it was a pretty big deal for us to get Kat to come into the studio. The IAG team thought it, this would be a great interview for us to reshare because we're going to be streaming a new interview with Kat on Thursday, February 24th at 12 noon Easter time on Zoom and Facebook. Since this is our 500th episode, I wanted to take a couple of moments to talk about the podcast. In August, we'll be celebrating our 10th anniversary. I started It's All Journalism with Megan Clorty and Jolie Lee back in 2012, to continue the discussions we'd been having in the interactive journalism program at American University. We had just graduated from the program and were very enthusiastic about digital journalism, and we wanted to share the conversations that were going on at that time with our industry, which was going through a tectonic shift due to the internet. We set out to talk to all types of journalists about the new skills they were learning and how their newsrooms were adapting to the changes happening in our industry. Since then, a lot has changed, both good and bad for journalism. What has started out as perhaps a naive endeavor to share information among journalists has evolved. Back in 2012, I never imagined that we'd be doing podcasts about fake news, news deserts, mental health in newsrooms, thousands of journalists losing their jobs, or an increase in violence and hatred directed at reporters for just doing their jobs and reporting the news. Journalism is still changing, and I think there's still a place for what we do on It's All Journalism. For that reason, I want to thank those who listen to us and the journalists who continue to inspire us. I also wanted to thank the four other people on the It's All Journalism team whose hard work helps me to produce this podcast on a weekly basis. Steph Thomas, Amelia Brust, Amber Healy, and Nicola Grisco. We're all doing this without compensation because it's something we still enjoy doing. Before I send you off to listen to our 2013 interview with Cat Downs Mulder, I just wanted to remind you that we will be live-streaming at 12 p.m. Eastern Time on February 24th. You can watch the live-stream live either on Zoom or on our Facebook page. We're taking questions for CAT via Zoom, and you can find the Zoom registration link on our Facebook page, our website, and pinned to the top of our At All Journalism Twitter address. Once the interview is over, the video will be available for a limited time on our Facebook page. And the audio will be posted as a podcast on a later date. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Here's our interview with Kat Downs Mulder from 2013.
1: Thanks for listening to It's All Journalism. I'm Megan Clowardy, joined by Mike O'Connell and Anna Myers, who is our new co-producer. And today we're joined by Kat Downs, Interactive Designer and Graphics Director at The Washington Post. A UNC graduate, Kat studied multimedia and photojournalism in school, and then after interning at USA Today and the Baltimore Sun, she joined The Post. Kat is also a part of the National Security Reporting Project at Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So tell us, you said you've been at The Post for five years. Yes. And you've been moving up the chain. How (laughs) how has the last week been? I mean, describe the last week for
0: us. This is the week following the Boston stuff
2: um it's been crazy uh the um, bombings happened on monday i formally moved him to my new role as graphics director on tuesday oh, that's nice um <laughs> just in time to kind of uh you know lead sort of the graphics team um over the the next few days the chases finding the suspects and all that kind of stuff so um it's been a it's been a crazy couple weeks
1: and as everything comes in obviously you have to kind of process you know I mean obviously Monday you want to put together Monday but in a situation like that it keeps changing right right so was Monday I mean did you just encapsulate Monday and then move on and do something different for Friday or I know you guys had that timeline
2: yeah kind of workflow for us so I mean what we want to try to do is build pieces that can kind of live and continue to be built upon as new details are released So Monday um, you know we got up online maps really quickly just showing location of Bombing 1 and Bombing 2. And then, you know, we, we did that for print after we finished our web projects. Um, on Tuesday, we were we were just thinking about how to advance the story past what it had been on Monday and build some elements that we would be able to use as more details came out. Um, so we started building a street model that we ended up using a, a lot over the coming days. And we started adding more information. We did it a, 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 as sort of um, – guess that was the day we had details come out about the pressure cooker bomb lid that was found, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So we started thinking about how we could explain um, the devices that were used, where they were, how they were put out, stuff like that. Um, and then as, you know, Wednesday came, we had video of where the suspects were. Then we had Thursday. Then we had <laughs> Friday, which was um, crazy. Um, we had all these new details and all this information, and so we added Um, a big timeline component um, and how we kind of managed our pages was that we would publish something and then we would kind of try to build on top of that so that I think what also what happens a lot of times in news stories is it sometimes can be really hard to follow quick developments because you don't have context of what's happened in the past. Right. And so what we tried to do with this piece was add new context every time there was an update. So we weren't getting rid of the old stuff. You know, we were still saying at one point they thought a camera at Lord & Taylor was relevant, but later it was decided that it wasn't. So the page ended up being uh, sort of a stack of graphics that we had done each day that revealed new information about the story. Um, And then on Saturday, once um, the older brother was dead and the younger brother was in custody, we created another page that kind of looked back at it in a chronological way. So we had two pieces um, one that was sort of our breaking news vehicle and one that was sort of a more storytelling piece we could go back and add in some context.
1: And are you guys are you guys separate from, I mean, all the reporting that's going on? Are you working with the reporters to put those maps and everything in their, you know, in their articles? Or how does that work? How do you guys overlap?
2: We're pretty close. We had a basically like a list serve, um for Boston News, which included everybody that was working on Boston coverage. And that was... Um, really, really useful. Um, And the first time that I've been on a listserv like that, I'm sure it's not the first time they've existed. So we had reporters on the ground. Every time they would hear something, they would send it out on that list. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were in really close contact with them so that we're like, you know, we want to put this on this map or we want to locate this. And then they would find the place or confirm that that detail was correct and that we were ready to report it. Because I know, you know, as you guys know, there was a lot of misinformation out there during that week. So it was really challenging to figure out what was true and what we were comfortable with um, on an organizational level, reporting, not just saying that it had been reported by others, but something that we could confirm and Mm -hmm. and kind of call our own. So the the relationship between the reporters and um, we have graphics reporters on our team also who do that. So we have a couple people. Graphics Um, reporters. Yeah. so That's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. We're really lucky to have people who do that. Basically, that's a job It's different from traditional reporting because you're really thinking about visual display, explanatory, um, a lot more data analysis and stuff like that. So those people are really instrumental in finding the details that you don't sometimes need in a written story, but you need in order to put things on a map or into a diagram.
3: Are those people typically on the ground or are they getting information from other people that are at the scene?
2: Depends on the situation. If this were to have happened in D.C., we probably would have sent our graphics people out there to survey the scene. But because it was in Boston, I mean, we, could only, we only sent so many people there. And so it's better to share resources. So in that case, we didn't have people on the ground.
1: How big of a role does social play as far as graphics go? Because obviously reporters, I mean, individually you want to brand yourself on social media, especially if you're a reporter. And the Post obviously has a huge presence online. But as far as like the graphics department, tell me about that and how you share what you're doing.
2: So we have a Twitter account for Post Graphics. It's at Post Graphics. And then we have – all of us have individual accounts. Um, and basically we try to just tweet every time we do something, especially if it's breaking news. We try to get it out as fast as we have the project up. Mm. Um, and what will happen a lot of times is that our Washington Post account will retweet Post Graphics or one of us. Um, and then we also have a Facebook Account where we post everything, a page, and then we have a Tumblr where we do behind the scenes, which is a little bit more our process of how we get things done. Um, and like less here back it the is, curtain, kind of like yeah. So we do a lot of um, why we use this kind of display and how we gather this data and why you know how we think about things. What's so, the
1: following on that? As tum- I mean, because not a lot of people use Tumblr. News the White wise. House
3: just went on Tumblr.
1: Ooh,
2: Whoa. it's. Pretty good. I mean, when we first launched it, we had, I think, like 600 referrals from Tumblr in the first week or something, which isn't insanely good, but it's not bad for something we haven't put a ton of resources into. Right. I mean, that behind-the-scenes stuff, that's pretty targeted. And so, you know, the hope is to connect really with that community through that device in a more targeted way than we really do with our Facebook or our Twitter, which is kind of just more of a blast.
0: Is, is there any of those that you particularly prefer working on or is just sort of well – Any we, of those medium? Yeah. Um, Do you think they, they'd show off your work better? I stumped you.
2: <laughs> I mean I like, I like them all for different reasons. I mean I think the Tumblr is nice because it gives us a chance to write through some of our thinking, mm-hmm. which I think is more interesting. It's offering something different than just a link or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now that we can get images in our Twitter feed, I like that a lot better because you can get – You know, you can actually put the graphic in the feed and then people can see it. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus, people on Twitter, like, love charts. I mean, if you put the word chart in a tweet, it's – really?
0: I don't work a lot in charts. I get to put just chart on my tweets.
2: (laughs) Every time. (laughs) (laughs) I try not to do that every time. But um, it it does – I mean, people are really – I mean, that's one of the really exciting things about working in information graphics right now is that – it's a, it's a thing I mean it's kind of it's really popular there's a lot of people who are trying to do it there's a million new tools to use and so when you put things out there you know they' people are excited about them and they're interested in seeing them and it and, and that interest is expanding beyond you know people who've traditionally been interested in that kind of stuff mm. um, other graphics artists and people so it makes it really exciting and
0: what what makes it, what makes it nice people like on twitter they like you know instagram they like images and stuff but the fact is with a chart you're you're getting a concentrated piece of uh, information so whereas everybody else is struggling to to send you know a link to a story or or you're trying in 140 characters to to get what the facts are here you've got boom you know here's 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 a representation of something that you can provide all this information that you can break down i mean I, you know it's clear why that that that's so effective at that in that medium
1: where do you get where do you turn for inspiration as far as you know coming up with ideas because i know when there's breaking news you obviously there's a formula and you got to get it out maps are maps but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but but i mean when you when you are you know looking for more creative projects or working on a long-term project where do you what are some of your sources you go to
2: Man, there are so again. many there are so many i mean obviously there's you know the things that you look at within the news industry I mean, all the big ones New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, mm-hmm. LA Times, NPR. PR. I mean, there's so many great things being done in news. But there are so many things being done outside of news. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, if you want to kind of lead the industry, then you kind of look at other things. Right. And there's a lot of kind of um, like nonprofit news, kind of smaller things, or companies that create interactive graphics um, for different organizations, government, advertising. And they're exploring storytelling in a completely kind of different way and mm. in a non-traditional way, and that than we come at it from a news organization perspective. And I think that they're a lot more risky with their design and user interface. And I think there's a lot for us to learn and think about mm. uh, when we when we kind of look outside, um, specifically around uh, thinking about how people consume graphics, you know, on phones and all that stuff, which is a huge, huge thing for us this year. We're like now creating what we call adaptive designs um, for 75% of our, our pieces, which is huge. If you asked me in November, we'd never created a mobile-specific design. As If you're looking outside, you see a lot of things that there's really no internal pressure to do within the news industry, but you know
1: it's that coming. you should be doing
2: it. And that's why I think it's important to kind of look around more than... Um, if you spend too much time navel-gazing, you're kind of just re- reverb. Right, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're putting out the same stuff. It's, it's like that with anything, I think. You, yeah. If
1: you write enough breaking news stories, you start writing kind of the same, you the same know, formula. the same formula, yeah, so you want to
0: change so, up. So recognizing that mobile is is, is going to be such a huge thing as we move forward, you know, what is that thinking on that? What is it, you know, I've got a graphic that, I, that, I'm, that I've created for the website, you know, what, what am I going to have to do to, to adapt that? How do we change that?
2: We were trying a lot of things. I mean, everybody talks about mobile first design. I would say we're not there. We're trying. It's challenging because you wanna you want start with the story and then figure out what people are looking for
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, in a small screen. They're reading it in the bus or on their in their bed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on their desktop where they have a little bit more time to sit back and really explore something. So generally what we're doing now is we're thinking about, okay, what's like this – what is the most important information people need from this piece and how can we create something really robust for people who have time to consume it and then something kind of slimmed back for phones. And that's – we've done um, basically tar- more targeted filtering, so based on your location or, you know, some kind of – basically like filtering or selection. Um, And we're mostly doing like charting, Mm -hmm. mapping, smaller versions of what we're doing on the web. And right now it kind of requires more of an extra step than we would like to have it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think our goal over the coming year is to make it so that it's really, it really is a single step process to create something that works on both. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just harder because it's not just, it's not just the design of the page. It's also the content of the page has to change. Right. Um, so it's challenging, but it's really fun. You know, it's kind of the same type of thing. I think we don't fully understand it the same way when we got, you know, started doing news online on mm-hmm. desktop web. We, you know, thought about it in really limited ways. Mm-hmm. It took yeah. a lot of time, and we're still exploring the sort of full breadth of things that we can do. I mean, that revolution is the same in mobile, and, and we don't know what's coming. And I think we really have to, to push hard to explore what's there. Um, and so that's, that's where a lot of our emphasis
0: is. And, and what's fascinating about this, this is all happening in a newsroom. This is all happening, and you've got to get the news out in the 24-hour instant, you know, bus, mm-hmm. Boston. There's a shooting, and now you've got to go follow. You've got to, you've got to be building your graphics and making all these decisions in, in that very fast-paced environment. So that's just a whole other level of craziness. It would be different yeah. if you were just <laughs> totally is. at the at the, at the school or the lab or whatever and you were just building something for Not as fun, though.
1: Not as fun. <laughs> Not as
2: fun. But we have, I mean, we had some awesome mobile graphics, like, during Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I wasn't seeing anyone else doing that, you know. Um, and if you open something up from Twitter, a lot of times you're on your phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you want to see something that... You, it's meaningful for you. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to like pinch and zoom to like, get this tiny thing. And I don't know. It's just a really poor user experience most of the time. Well,
0: and so we, what's so terrible about, uh, you know, especially for something that you might be doing, the fact that you're creating these, these, these incredibly useful things, just how digestible how the Twitter is. It's like you look at it and then you're gone. it gets shared a little bit and then you're moving on to the next thing. So you've put all this effort into something that's complex and has lots of different levels but may not have that much of a shelf life in Which, that at that level.
1: We're talking about responsive design too. I mean I think it was um, David Wright at NPR. He was talking about how you really have to think about how people – or where people are, are going to be how, and what they're going to be using when they're looking at a specific thing. Because he said that when people are on tablets, they really end up diving in more. They're, like, sitting back, end of their day, you know, willing to read longer articles. Whereas if you throw something out on Twitter at noon, you know it's going to be at their desk, you know. So do you kind of design with that in mind, thinking, you know, how the user's going to be interacting with it?
2: We try to, yeah. Um, I mean, right now we're not doing a ton of differentiation between desktop, web, and tablet. Um, and that's mostly because of resourcing constraints. Like, it's just... I mean, yeah. every time you add a breakpoint, we already have print, desktop, web, and mobile. Um, <laughs> you don't have
0: unlimited resources and time to do all this stuff?
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we are thinking about how to get exactly the right amount of information so that people have time to, to read it, spend, you know, make them want to spend more time with it. I mean, when I look at stuff off Twitter... What I will do is open it up, and then if it stays in my tab open the whole day and I haven't read it, I put it on read later, like Instapaper, and then I may or may not ever read right. it. Later. It's like your t you know? <laughs> So I definitely think there is like an attention. There's so much competing for people's attention. And so there's a constant um, pressure to, to create things um, that draw that attention. Uh, in a way that's, you know, innovative is a word that's way, way used way too much. But right. Something different. Something, something cool, exciting, like you you know, their exciting. Something
3: eye. meaningful, too. Because right. if you spend all this time creating these things and people just glance at it for five seconds, think of all the work that you've done to only get five seconds of people's time. Like right. You actually want them to glean something from it, not just, oh, that's great, on to the next.
0: So what about projects that, that have got a little more time to breathe for, for you to think about long-term just pulling something local out of it, you know. What what did you guys do for like the inaugurana- inauguration, inauguration, inauguration? Um, you had a little lead up to that. You know, knew it was a local story that had a national impact. You know, what was your thinking in, in planning for that?
2: Well, we had a lot of resources around the newsroom on the inauguration. I mean, we were just trying to own that story in every way. We had a lot of stuff coming out of our team around it. Uh, we did. Uh, like a, a thing that was like a presidential history, looking at every presidential inauguration. That was pretty I – mean, we got a lot of traction from that. Uh, we did like a build-your-own-speech <laughs> thing, which was kind of fun. It was like a little – kind of like a trivia thing. Um, we had a thing about presidential balls. Uh, probably the most – on the day of, we did a gigapan with Facebook tagging uh, that showed, you know – Obama's swearing in um, and that was that was really cool a Gigapan what's a Gigapan it's a basically like a billion pixel image it's a special camera oh, yeah. um, that shoots you know hundreds of pictures and then you stitch it together and it creates uh, this really really high resolution panoramic image that you can zoom way way into and see everybody's faces you could see like Katy Perry and it was it was really cool. You can <laughs> um, advi-
0: put that on Facebook. You can invite people to tag it. You guys, yeah. you guys did that for the the wash for the the season opener for the Washington mm-hmm. Nationals. I was going to yeah. say they do it so at ballparks. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they do. So we've
2: done two. That's, we've done two of those, and I mean that was great. That was really fun. So we had a, a lot of different projects, but yeah, I mean we're just trying to do some things that we know are going to work and some things that we don't know if they're going to work. So we can kind of keep pushing. <laughs> See what happens.
3: Yeah. (laughs) See what, see what sticks. What drives how much effort you put into certain projects? Like, are you looking for a certain amount of views or like how, how do you sort of determine what gets a lot of attention and what's more of a, we're going to try it, but we're not going to put like our full weight behind it. Like, do you have metrics that you're looking to get and that is what determines your time or.
2: I mean, I think it depends on the project. You have to figure out what your success measures are and kind of base, baseline against that. For me, when I kind of make assignments in the team, I'm thinking about, one, is it a newsy topic that people need to know about and are interested in? I mean, that's the number one thing that we do as a news organization. You have to keep your focus there, and there's a lot of other stuff going on, and there's a lot of stuff that people want to do that's, like, not really in our core. Um, so we try to keep the focus there. Those are the things people are going to click on a lot. and They're going to want to read and they're going to want to share because it's news that they can't get anywhere else. The second thing yeah. is if it brings new skills into the team, new technologies that we've never used before, and the ability then in the future to use those skills on this kinds of newsy projects that I'm talking about. So somebody might spend a couple weeks on a project with a new tool that they've never used before, and that project may not get a ton of page views, but in my view, it's successful because it's taught us how to do something that then we can use moving forward. And then the third thing is relationship building. So if they have working with somebody that they've never worked with before, a department that we've never worked with before, and something good comes out of that, that can snowball into more projects along the news lines that I talked about, then that's a success. Um, so page views are not the only thing that, that we look at when we're thinking about whether a project is worth doing, especially because... I mean, I'm I'm of the view that that sometimes things catch on and then sometimes they don't, and a lot of times that has to do with how they're played on the site and the promotion and all that kind of stuff. So, I think you have to have sort of a an independent way of evaluating the success of things um, and knowing what's good, and then when you continue to create things that good that are good, then you can build an audience around that, um, and that's really the goal—not kind of like the fly you know fly by, tons of hits on something that's kind of goofy which is great, but that's not going to get sort of the core people that you right. want to see again and again. Um, and those are the kind of people that we want um, to be on our site. So those are the things that I'm thinking about.
1: Do you think The Post is doing a good job at highlighting your work versus highlighting you know, their top stories or their features or whatever? I know they used to have the multimedia tab. That went away. And now when you guys have stuff, it's, it's on the homepage. But you feel like it's being presented like a supplemental element to the main to the main story or do you feel like you're really kind of getting your own space
2: it depends on what the story is I mean we're trying to move away from a siloed model where you have a story page then you have a graphic page and you have a photo gallery and you have a video page which is something that we did for a long long time and it's a bad user experience and it's not a holistic story. Just because and, you go out and then you can't right. come back in, okay. and that's what I think creates that like stories on the front page and all the other things as doodads that go right. with it mentality. Our, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the people who run our homepage they they love graphics, they love interactive stuff. So I I definitely don't think that it's like we get short shrift when you know things are getting promoted, but I do think that there is a news mentality where they often feel like the news is in the story. And that's something that as visual journalists, we have to constantly, we have to push ourselves and the interpretation of our work so Mm -hmm. that people see it, they see that as a story. And Mm -hmm. they recognize that a graphic with, you know, really detailed annotations, it is a story. And part of the, you know, that's something we think about when we think about assignments. Do we need to do something that echoes exactly what's in a text story? Mm -hmm. That works really well in print doesn't work so well on the web because then you have two pages with the exact same point. Right. Um, and so they either need to be on the same page as a connected experience, or maybe you should spend your time doing something else.
1: We had something on WTOP this week where it was a photo gallery, but we chose to make the story in the captions. And we had all of these people who were like angry, I mean like very upset that they had clicked in the story and there was no story. And they kept saying, well there's no story here. I'm like, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta go through. But I think even, I mean, even now we're like, okay, well, maybe we should anchor it with a couple of paragraphs. But do you think it's just like the thinking's not quite there yet from the user experience, or do you think it's more editors are like, ah, eh, we still need you We it. need text. Yeah.
2: Was it the, is it the users who were upset or the editors were- <laughs> from your website? Well, actually, both.
1: Well, the users were upset. We had all these comments like, "Where's the story? There's just pictures here." But then um, our promo guy came to us and was like, "Well, I went to go read the story, and there's no story." And I just thought it was so interesting because it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just the outside. It was like people just didn't get it. Well,
0: that's the old, you know, come with us. We're we're, we're doing something different. Come with us. Follow us. And, and people aren't always ready to do that. Right. But
1: I think this is kind of like what she's not up against. That's not the right way to say it. But, I mean, you're trying to get people to think about news in a different way.
3: They yeah. expect to see text on a page. That's the kind of traditional thinking. Do, do you
0: think the post or, you know, has the post written a story in, entirely in the graphic element? I mean, have you ever... You know, can can you give an example of that? She's shaking her head. Yes,
2: yes. Um, yeah, this is this
0: is audio. You need. To...
2: <laughs> I mean, we've done a lot of kind of what I like to call multimedia series, where mm-hmm. it's like different kind of pieces that kind of fit together to tell um, a story. I mean, we've done a lot of standalone graphics, particularly around politics during the campaign season. Things that didn't run with. You know, I hate calling article pages a story because I think that perpetuates like the idea that a text is a story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to call it the article, you know, the article the, the page. The text portion of the <laughs> article other stuff page. Because the story is, is what it is. It doesn't matter what form it's in. And so, yeah, I mean, we have done a lot of those. And, and our goal is to do more. And our goal is to, for example, we just did um, Dan Keating uh, and Emily Chow worked on this story about gun deaths and sort of looking at how uh, – homicides and suicides break down around along racial lines and there was a really interesting data analysis um, and we had a really cool graphic about it and then Dan wrote a, a story that was in the newspaper that ran with the graphic um, and it was also on the website and instead of having like you know this story and this totally disconnected graphic um, we took you know elements of that graphic and embedded them you know all throughout the story at the piece the places where people want to see them and this isn't a new thing this mm-hmm. is in blog posts like every day, all the time. Mm. But for some reason, we're just not doing it the way that we should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, people just want the story. They don't, I, I don't think that they care what form it's in. Like, people love photo pages and they love photo galleries. I just think that sometimes we do kind of, as visual journalists, we do kind of, we need to work on the context of what we do. We need to, to, to try to make these things standalone as much as they can especially because they, people are coming to them from Twitter and whatever. And you can't expect that once they arrive at this page, then somehow they're going to find their way back to this other page that has all this additional context that they might want to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, in an ideal world and where I, I feel like we are going and sort of the digital news industry as a whole is going is into a, into a world where we don't have these silos. We just have story experiences that include whatever needs to be in there.
0: Do, do you think that there's a you know a prejudice for that that people sort of give more weight to to text that that maybe the visual aspect well, it's it's lighter in a sense
2: i mean that's the legacy of like how journalism was done for a long time even the photos <laughs> i mean for the longest time were like extra you
1: know yeah. and now yeah. it's like people expect a photo in there
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, and we've I think all seen a photo that that is the story. That's the entire story, beginning, middle, and end. That you look at it and say, "Wow, I, I understand completely what that means." And any text is just, you know, extra. embellishment.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that there's the news industry has changed a lot. I mean, not just with the web, but starting before that, in terms of not thinking as visual of of visual journalism as a service that's there for. People who do text reporting to come and say, "I want a graphic, or I want a video, I want a you know photograph," but to really think of it as its own storytelling technique, and I don't, you know, I'm not sure we're totally there. That evolution is still happening. I bet I think, I mean, that's it's a legacy thing, right? Because right. the reporters, the people who get the information, uh, many times go to the text. Um, and we have to get those people, you know, those are the people we need working on the visual stuff right. because they're the ones who know the stories. And right. unless as visual journalists we empower ourselves to be the storytellers, the reporters, we are invested in finding the information. We're invested in going out to the scene, discovering things. Then we're always going to be seen, you know, as separate or like as a service or as like, you know, a, a doodad that goes with something else. Right. So but I think originates that's there something that we have to take control of and take charge of and you know put ourselves in the conversation and say, well, this is my story idea or like this is something I want to report or this is you know my idea for how we, we can work text and visuals together. And then as that relationship evolves, the perception of visual journalism as somehow not as established or like not as legit as text. Mm-hmm. Well, it goes away. Um, and I've seen that you know during my time at the post, every time I work with somebody, I can see. I see the perspective change happen. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, there's so much we can do mm-hmm. with this kind of storytelling. Yeah. And then they get excited, and then they want. You know, they want to work together all the time. It's great. You know, <laughs> but that's like, you wish it didn't have to happen one by one. But in, in many ways, it kind of does because you're opening new channels of communication, new ways of working that people haven't really experienced before.
0: So. Let's talk a little bit about nonlinear storytelling, the fact that you've got a graphic element, something that you've created, that every person who comes to that web page is going to open up different things in a different way and see it a different way. How's that consideration in in your design and and, and in your planning? That's a good question, Michael. I know. That's my my PhD question. Good thought of
2: the day. (laughs) Um, I get a cookie. The best pieces I think have – they do have a linear narrative. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you want to pursue that linear narrative, you can and you don't have to do like the exploration. But then if you want to, you can you you can play with things and you can experiment with different filters and buttons or choose a specific location and adjust the story to yourself. But, you know, we're trying not to produce completely exploratory pieces because – they don't, they don't do our job, which is to tell stories, <laughs> uh, you know, and we did that for a long time. We're like, oh, like data and yeah. this is great. Like let's you, just smack it up and put, <laughs> you know, some buttons on it and that's what people want. And I – our experience has not shown that. Uh-huh. The more context you put around pieces, the more you show people what they should be looking for, where the interesting places are, or where the interesting, you know um, – Mixtures of different types of information are then the more that they, the more they want to stay.
0: The more enriching the experience is. Yeah. So insane. you have to
1: kind of give them a path.
2: Yeah.
0: It's the um. But the they re- can go off of it if they want. And yeah. this well, is where exactly, it's important to have journalists. Exactly. Well,
3: it's the the who cares the why like if you don't give them that there and they they have to search that out they may not figure out what it is and that can be really frustrating like why why should I look at this why should I explore it I don't especially I don't if you go it. the backwards
0: way then you're right like, what? then yeah it doesn't you know
3: they're looking you're they're looking to journalists to. Give them something. Not they shouldn't have to do all the work so in, co- in finding it.
0: Context, the shortcuts. I mean, it's you know, you get that big chunk of data from the government. You know, maybe you create something that makes it easier to navigate. But unless you, you know, guide people to where the most important things are, they're not going to understand why it's important to them.
1: So as, that,
0: again, the role of the journalist. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, that's okay.
1: <laughs> as far as um, your background goes, I know your your photography. Do a lot of artists end up doing this, or do you find that a lot of people have more traditional? journalism background and end up in graphics because they're more visual? I mean, how would you kind of – I guess my my larger question is, if somebody's interested in getting into this, what would their background be? Or what would a good background be?
2: I think it totally depends. I mean, so we have – I mean, our department has people who started off as text reporters, um, computer-assisted reporters who just gravitated towards data stories, and then data stories kind of naturally flow into um, visualization or mapping – and then we have several people who, who just have a background in um, design, storytelling through design, storytelling through visualization, um, and they started off on the visual side. So we have a combination of paths to get to this point, point. and I think both of, it's important to have people with both of those perspectives. Um, I think my background, so when I was in college, I studied photojournalism and multimedia, which was programming, design, video, all of that stuff. And I feel like that sort of helped me understand how each kind of media has a special – it has different – they have different strengths. And when you understand their strengths, it's easier to make presentations that bring them all together because Mm -hmm. you don't – you're not trying to just like duplicate everything in one thing in a video and then in a a photograph and then in a graphic, but rather use each thing for what it has the most value in. Mm Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's been tremendously just awesome to have a background like that because I, I have a really good sense of visually what works and what communicates. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have people who didn't have background like that at all. And they just, they were reporters and they just really liked the kind of reporting that you can do and the kind of stories that you can tell with graphics.
1: But obviously it's important to have a familiarity with the different – like you said, the different mediums and how a story may lend itself better to data or to video or whatever it is. I mean do you think when you're coming in as a graphic um, reporter that you should have at least a basic understanding of each medium and how you can report in each medium?
2: I think so, yeah. I mean if you're doing graphics, it's it's definitely important to understand what makes a good graphic (laughs) and where there's opportunities – to use graphics to tell stories and where there's really just not that much. Mm -hmm. And then you should let something else do a better job. Um, I mean, there's some stories that, you know, photography is just incredibly good at showing. Mm -hmm. And then there's some stories that is really, really hard to photograph. And that's where that, you know, that relationship is and the kind of push-pull. And we'll well, we'll let photography tell the story. And then we'll let graphics tell this other story. So I do think that there is... If you're going to be a graphics reporter, it's really useful to have a, a perspective on what works in graphics. <laughs> um, I feel like I asked a really obvious question. But I, but it seems, it seems right, like no, something it's true, that people right? don't have a lot of in, like experience yeah. in before you
1: start. You just jump in. you got to jump in.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think – and it's fascinating because so many people are interested in this right now. And um, there's a lot of emphasis on like the development side of it and the design and specifically the visualization side of it. But the root of all that is information and a specific kind of reporting that can create that information um, and process it and find stories in it. And we enormously need that skill set as well, not just the development, not just the design. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there is an opportunity for reporters who have interest in that kind of stuff to transition, you know, into more of a sort of looking at things in a visual way and... and there are jobs there there are opportunities there and i don't think that that's always doesn't stick out to people right. as much as maybe it should as a as a, a potential path
0: do do you find that it's it's been been become easier to to get sort of people to give you assignments or ask for your help in something that's visual or do you find that there've been there've been situations where people have you know, here, could you make a graphic for it? And suddenly realizing it's not really something that would be represented well in graphic.
1: You're like, no, this is a video. <laughs> this is a video. Sorry.
0: I, mean, is,
2: I mean, that's my is... job, right, is to, like, try to, you know, spot the opportunities and figure out, is this an opportunity or is it not? And then also to encourage my team to come up with ideas for things that they want to do because, you know, they have a different perspective on what works. And the closer relationships they have with the content desks Then those ideas are coming directly to them. And so it's not, you know, people don't come over and they're like, we want a chart. Um, It's more like, we have a story about this. How can we tell the story? Mm -hmm. And then we say, okay, well, maybe we could have the video team involved and they could do this part of it. We could do an explainer about this other thing. And depending on the soap of the story, maybe only want one. You don't, because you don't need everything for every story. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe just do one thing and, and we would decide together. Know what that's gonna be?
3: Who's making the final? Like, let's say you have a disagreement about what what you think works and what doesn't. Who makes the final? Is it is it about a, a, a graphic or about the story or, or as a whole? People, yeah, yeah, like or you, do
0: people trust you enough? That, right. You like, if you're working with a,
3: a reporter and they say that you know you guys are having a, a conversation about what you think works and you say one thing and they're like, well, but I really think I want this, and and who who actually at the end of the day says,
2: well, if it's a graphic, then we would decide okay. whether it makes sense to do it. And I think that we have a really good trusting relationship with people and, you know, everybody at the post is a professional and they're really good at what they do. And so you have to trust people to know what they're good at. Now, Mm -hmm. if a reporter said this graphic totally doesn't tell the story that we're trying to tell, then of course we would, hopefully we'd never get to that point. But if we did get there, we would say, hmm, what happened here? Let's like evaluate what we're doing. Right. But, you know, that like almost never happens. I mean, there's, There's not really a lot of conflict between, like, I want a video, and then the video editor is like, we're not doing that. It doesn't really (laughs) happen.
0: There's so much Um, time and effort that goes into stuff. You're not going to waste yourself necessarily going down. Yeah.
2: And I mean, it's pretty clear, like, most of the time when people want to talk about projects, they just want to see what's possible, which is great. I mean, that's the kind of dialogue that we should have that leads to discussing a lot of things and choosing the best things. And... You know, sometimes I think people are understanding. Like, maybe we don't have resources to do that one right now. Um, but now we've had this conversation, and the next time, maybe you know, this idea will elevate. It will be something that we can do.
1: Changing gears real quick. I just want to make sure we talk about the National Security Reporting Project because I know oh, okay. it's it's important to you. And you're on. The, are you on the board of that? Or tell tell us no, about like know. what you what you do there. Your involvement.
2: Um. So Josh Myers and Ellen Sheer run this program, um, and it's uh, through Northwestern University, their Medill school. and they um, have a grant to do a program about national security reporting. Um, and each year it's had a different theme, and I've done it the past three years. And it's you know, it's somewhere between like eight and 12 students who come to DC for, they've, they've technically already graduated their graduate students and they come here to, to do a fifth quarter. And do this reporting and build a project off of it, which also involves not just text reporting, but also graphics reporting, uh, video reporting, and the creation of a website that kind of, like, pulls it all together. Okay.
1: So it's like a mentorship kind of –
2: Yeah. So my job is basically, like, visual editor of the site, and I help, you know, teach some basic programming and, like, design and thinking about how to tell stories in different ways and teaching some tools and things – uh, you know, Josh and Ellen are working with them on, you know, developing contacts with the government and like how to you know get all the good details. <laughs> and um I'm kind of helping them uh, think about reporting in a different way, which has been really fun.
1: I was gonna say it's kind of nice. I mean, all the teachers we've spoken with it, it feel like they have a a more optimistic view on where we're going because they're 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 working with people who are excited about journalism, who want to learn more about what they're doing specifically. I mean, do you feel that way? Do you feel like
2: I mean, teaching is really fun. It's a great way to kind of get outside of the day-to-day grind of what you're doing. I mean I, I think that most of the people who do what I do love their jobs just because it's awesome. I mean
0: mm-hmm. what's not
2: to love like new stories all the time, changing technology, kind of do what you want. It's right. great. Be, be um, but The teaching part of it is, is good because you kind of can get outside of like what's happening in the profession. And you can really see this sort of enthusiasm and – you know, it's exciting. There's still so much energy around studying journalism and trying to move it forward and trying to figure out where it's going to go. So it's, it's
0: well, great. Let me ask you a real specific question down that, that line. Um, young journalist wants to get into this this type of, um, um, you know, graphic design and, and, and presentation. What, what tools should they have in their toolbox?
2: They should, I mean, it kind of depends on what they want, but if they want to be a jack-of-all-trades, mm-hmm. there's things that can get you there. Reporting, computer-assisted reporting, specifically statistics, data analysis, web design, user interface design, programming, preferably uh, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, database building, possible Python, um, whatever. We use Django, but Ruby, whatever people want to use. And you're Um, in that every day.
1: I mean, you're... Actually coding. and Yeah.
2: I mean, I'm not doing as much anymore because I'm doing a lot of editing, but basically my background is in design and development, and I built, designed and built these projects. And there are a lot of jobs around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there's also jobs in illustration, 3D modeling, motion graphics, and, and that kind of thing. I mean, we have a, a people on our staff who do those things as well. GIS, cartography, mm-hmm. um, web cartography with sort of non-traditional cartographic tools and sort of more – um, the web-based, you know, code-driven maps. I mean there's a lot of different, you know, specializations within the specialization, mm-hmm. right. which is kind you of don't what need, makes it fun. But you don't, it, don't need
0: to have everything, but yeah. have some things or at least be thinking about, well, maybe I should, if if I have the opportunity to pick up this skill, maybe I should do that. Mm-hmm. That would help me. Yeah.
2: I mean one thing I think is kind of interesting, and it was this way when I was in school, and I feel like it is still this way in a lot of journalism programs, is that – They try to teach you a ton of different skills, and that can be useful because it kind of gives you a survey of, like, what you could do. Right, what you Um, like or what you don't like. But then you graduate, and, like, you're, you know, okay at everything, but you're not, like, awesome at something. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's harder to get a job when you're not awesome at something. What I did, which is, like, go – I went to the Baltimore Sun. I worked there for a year and a half. And I was able to then take sort of all of these general skills and figure out what I was good at, um, which was interactive design and development. And then I was able to find a job to specialize in that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like that you have to find a place to figure out what you want to do because you have to be really good at something in order to find a a really good job. Unless it's at a small place and you continue to work there where you kind of do everything, which is fun in its own way. Um, But I just find that there's a lot of... You know, people send us portfolios, and there's a lot of people who have a ton of different skills, but it's not really clear what they want.
0: The direction is what
2: kind of job they want. Um, you have video in your portfolio. You have photography. You have design. You have print design. What, like, what's your goal? Um, and I think when you're talking to potential, like, people who might be hiring you, they want to know what you want to do um, and so what they you can sort can of do.
1: see what you're going to be great at for them, right?
0: right? right. Interesting. Right. Put a little thought into it. Well, our last question
1: always <laughs> is, where do you feel like the industry is going? Do you feel like we're on a good path? Do you feel like as far as graphics design goes and news news graphics, we're, we're headed in the right direction? Or do you think that, you know, is it all doom and gloom? Uh, <laughs> the ship's we're all going to die.
2: No, I mean, I, I touched on it a minute ago when I was talking about, like, loving what I'm doing. Um, and I think we're in a great place. The stuff that you see now, the work, it's better than it. Ever been? I feel like we're finally seeing um, a maturation in web design and development, and it's it's really good stuff now. It's not kind of like oh, we just discovered like how to make things interactive and <laughs> messy and doesn't have good UI. I mean, the stuff you see now is really sophisticated, and it's kind of like it's growing up. And then we have this new you know new challenge, which is uh, mobile and like mini you know mini screens and. Um, how do we, how do we manage that? And I think it's a huge opportunity, and it's exciting that it's not limited to traditional media companies. It's mm-hmm. a wide open field. That's great because it kind of makes us think differently, um, motivates us to not, you know, be <laughs> complacent and think, oh, I'm working at the Washington Post. Like we're always going to be, you know, this huge, huge influence because it's not that way. And so I find that to be really fun and exciting and. You know, I think the future is bright. You just have to keep, you know, not keep pushing, keep trying to 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 be better than you were the day before, and and you know, learn from a lot of the exper- experiments that are going on. But, yeah, exciting.
1: Kat, where can people find your work online, or where can they find you online?
2: I'm um, online. I have about <laughs> a thousand different social profiles. Um, if you Google me, you'll find my website. It's catdowns.com with a hyphen between cat and downs because there's a musician in San Francisco who has the same name. Cat with a K. Cat with a K, um, and then I'm on, you know, Twitter at Catdowns downs and Instagram and Tumblr and <laughs> all the places you should be. Everything Google Plus, <laughs> but I never use it. Um,
0: Don't you hate it when that when, when somebody comes up with a new social media platform? Yes, because
2: you, have to, like, oh, you feel obligated to join. I'm like, how yeah. can I wire this up to the ones I already have? <laughs> but then I don't like to do that because I don't like to overpower people with like the same stuff. But um, <laughs> Pinterest, I'm on there.
1: <laughs> you name it, all day. you yeah. name it, I'm on there.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Well, thank you for
1: joining us. Appreciate it.
0: Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell. This is a special bonus episode of our podcast. We talked to Cat Downs, the graphics editor at the Washington Post, about her job. And when we were done, we realized that we'd forgotten to ask her about her online portfolio, which which we think is actually pretty neat. We ended our podcast and we decided that there was some more things to talk about. So we've got Cat Downs. We're back. Back in here, we're gonna have a little special uh, addendum podcast.
1: And the reason we're doing this is because I went to Cat's um, online profile where she showcases all her work, and it really not only is it organized really well because you have you know all your social profiles in one spot, you have different pages for different things, but I think this is a good thing to talk about because a lot of us have online work that we'd like to showcase, that we'd like to share, and not necessarily throw everything out on Facebook, <laughs> you know, and annoy our friends. <laughs> All that self-promotion. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> how, I mean, how do you choose what to put up and, and how do you get started if you want to have an online space for your work?
2: Okay, so you're interested in the portfolio specifically? Yes. Okay. I mean, I think the challenge is to show the the sort of variety of things that you can do And then, you know, so so basically what I do is I pick my favorite projects and um, every so often I'll get back in there and I'll say, hmm, like this is like looking kind of old and like maybe isn't as good as some new stuff that I did and I'll drop in some new things. I think it's really important to put context with the stuff. I see a lot of portfolios that are like, here's what I did. And then, you know, there's four bylines on the piece and you can't really tell what it
0: is or like.
2: Who what? Who did what?
0: You end up writing the headline. Yeah, and did. so
2: I write like through. I basically write through every piece that I that I do and say this was my job in this piece, and this is how it came together. And then um, I'll list other other projects that I've done that were similar. So, for example, like mapping, like mapping with JavaScript. I only have one JavaScript map on my profile or my my portfolio. I've done a, a zillion of them, um, and but it's because people really just need to know that that's what I can do. Mm -hmm. And then they can go and check out all the other ones if they're motivated to do so. Um, And then, you know, then I have another project that's, like, focused on video. And then I have another project that's focused on user-generated content visualization. And then, um, you know, another project that's, um, you know, focused on, like, political mapping or something. So just trying to get sort of a, a breadth of things in there and then explain exactly what my role is, Which gives, you know, potential employers, which that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to, like, you know, share what I'm working on. But, um, you know, when potential employers look at a portfolio, they want to get a sense of your personality, of, like, how you work with people, of what you can produce, the timeline on which you produce them, um, where your interests are. And so, I don't know. I think –
3: so really you should answer more than here's what I did. You should give a little bit of background to make it clear as to what your role was. But not only that, how long it took, all that. Because I, I have an online portfolio, but it's just like here's my work. But it right. doesn't give 32. any context as to
1: the thinking behind it, like how yeah. it came about. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um. And you use WordPress or
1: what do you use for your for your yep. site?
2: I do WordPress Um. and I – so I do WordPress and I have a blog and then I have a portfolio page and then I have like an about me that basically has links – as you mentioned, to every site that I'm on. Um, (laughs) But there's actually a joke on the site about it that's like, here's my identity on like a million social networks. And that's all on WordPress. And I also do um, like a delicious uh, feed, which is all – and I have a tag called work, which is like everything I've ever worked on. Um, So if they want to see more than that, then they should go there. Um, I think that's another issue. Like sometimes it's hard to find people's work and you might want to see more than what they're highlighting in our portfolio. and it's nice to have a place where you can kind of go um not just for people visiting my site but actually for myself, <laughs> to just be like, what have I done? I think <laughs> I did a timeline about gay marriage, but I can't remember, and then I go and you know google it right on so my-
0: where where are you linking to your portfolio? not just necessarily people looking to look for a job, but you know where do you have that out there? Is it on your Facebook you say, oh, here's my portfolio to
2: Yep, so I link, my Twitter and my Facebook are linked, and my Tumblr just linked to my blog, mm-hmm. um, which I'm kind of delinquent about updating. I've had it for like a, a really long time, since I was on, like t- 10 years or something. And
0: You made it out of wooden sticks and... Yeah, well, I was books. on
2: Blogger when I first got it, then I <laughs> managed to get it all into WordPress. Um, and I, you know, I try to post on there, but it's not really a great record of, of what I've done, but... Um, I link everybody there, and then mm-hmm. the portfolio is a, a subsection of that. And then I also have uh, another page on there that's like a flavors.me feed that has like every social site and all the stuff from that site, so they can see my LinkedIn and my, you know, Instagrams and my Flickr and. Well, it's
1: true. There's so much stuff out there that it is hard. It was hard to me for me to think about how to organize it all so it wouldn't be like too much. But if people wanted to find you, like you know, but you here have are the to links. Have some sort
0: of identity, yeah. That- that that brings you together as a as a professional person where you can sort of highlight what you're doing. One of the things you said in the, in, in the main podcast was explaining who you are and what your goal is. You know, how do you work your goal into your portfolio? That, you know, I want to be A or...
2: I mean, I have like a little nugget at the top of all the pages that are like, I do interactive design and development. And that's, that's it. That's what I do. <laughs> um, and then at the top of my portfolio, it says like, I love teamwork and... I love technology, and I love storytelling, and that's me in a nutshell. It's not like a long explanation. It's like, this is what I do. This is my work. And then if you want to go deeper than this, here's my delicious thing, and like here's my resume with all the details of everything you would need to know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good to have like a nut graph of who you are, which is surprising that more people don't kind of do that.
1: Yeah, but not much more than that, because...
0: Well, thanks for sticking around and uh, adding us a little bit. Thank you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Lemia Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.